Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Podcast 1201. You are joined by your host today, Bradley Allsop, uh, here in a somewhat overcast uh, Lincoln. Uh, we're joined also by Ollie. Hello everyone, it's also quite overcast here, uh, but at least it's not very, very hot. Great, and we're joined by Callum Watt this week as well. Good afternoon, Bradley. Good afternoon, folks. So we've got two uh, meaty topics to get into today. We're First of all, going to be discussing the results of the uh, much-anticipated United Leadership election um, with the surprise victory. Um, and we're also going to be talking about um, Brexit and the latest travails um, with Brexit this week as well. Uh, the gift that keeps on giving that is um, Brexit. So we've finally got the results in of the much-anticipated United Leadership election um, with left-winger Sharon Graham um, now elected on just under 38% of the vote, um, according to The Guardian. And uh, in second place, Steve Turner um, with 33, well, 34% of the vote. And Jared Coyne, Cohen, Cohen, I pronounce that name, um, receiving 28.5% of the vote. Um, so this was a little bit of a surprise victory um, for Sharon Graham to come in and it was after uh, concerns throughout the leadership contest of the left vote being split and potentially ending up with a more uh, a candidate more to the right um, than many left-wing activists would like to see. Um, but that disaster has been averted um, with Graham's victory. Um, and of course, it does also make her the first um, female general secretary um, of, of the union as well. So, uh, Callum, I'm going to turn to you. What, what are you? Uh, I'm assuming you're happy with this result. I have, uh, I have some mixed feelings, but I, uh, which I will go into. But actually, because uh, I will say straight up, Sharon Graham wasn't my candidate. I uh, voted for Steve Turner, but um, I have to say I, I'm not displeased. Um, I think that it was definitely a surprise. I think everyone's quite shocked um, because the full context is that, you know, uh, four years ago, I believe, the last uh, General Secretary's election, um, obviously incumbent General Secretary Len McCluskey uh, was uh, running again to be General Secretary. Len McCluskey complex figure in some ways, not always the best, especially when it comes to migrant workers' rights, um, but was nevertheless broadly considered to be on the left, um, especially uh, when it came to Labour Party politics. He was very supportive of Jeremy Corbyn. Um, but during the last General Secretary's election, uh, he only narrowly won. He scraped by by a couple of percentage points against Jared Coyne who was considered to be the sort of Blairite candidate, if you like, or the old right candidate, I think, more accurately. I think it's not quite fair to label him as Blairite as such. Um, but uh, in that context, uh, he also had uh, an opponent called Allenson, who was the uh, Socialist Party candidate, effectively, who was generally considered to be a spoiler candidate because unbelievably in the early 21st century, um, Unite the Union, modern trade union, big, one of the biggest in the UK, um, is still using first-past-the-post for its most important elections, which is uh, unthinkable and, and really needs to change. Um, 
in this context, uh, it was thought and the be- at the beginning of the contest, uh, contest um, I remember seeing nothing about any candidate except for a chap called Howard Beckett, who was the sort of radical left candidate, if you like. He was uh, very uh, oppositional to Keir Starmer, the leader of the Labour Party. Um, he uh, was threatening to withdraw funding from the Labour Party um, and got uh, quite a high number of nominations. Uh, I certainly think that when I came to my uh, Unite uh, branch meeting, um, it was interesting because one of the most right-wing members of my branch uh, even backed him because, uh, quote, at least he's saying something she hadn't seen anything from any of the other candidates. Uh, then it w- was a bit of a shock. Uh, that The first shock, if you like, of this contest was seeing the nominations come out uh, and noticing that uh, Beckett was actually in third place uh, behind Steve Turner, who was considered the heir to Lemmy Klusky. Uh, he had the most nominations. Then Sharon Graham, who obviously eventually won uh, had the second most, uh, Jaron Coyne was uh, in fourth, and they were all actually relatively close to one another. Bear in mind, when we're talking about nominations from branches, we are talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of branches. It's not like with a, a Labour Party election uh, where you only have, uh, I think it's 450 CLPs um, and, and uh, you know, half, half dozen uh, trade unions um, this is basically every every workplace, every sector uh, has a branch for Unite. It's, it's massive. Um, so Howard Beckett eventually had to had to drop out. Uh, he threw his weight behind Steve Turner, who was uh, I think he uh, has has uh, been involved in the anti austerity struggle for uh, many many years. Um, he was considered the, the sort of unity candidate by many, um, but the and the expectation I think was that Sharon Graham would also do the same in, in the interests of preventing the right from getting uh, getting control of Unite. Uh, but she refused to do that, um, partly because she said she's the only woman candidate, and also she had a very unique platform. Um, and her platform is uh, effectively to get the unite the union um, out of uh, or, or um, shift its focus, I think, more accurately away from being involved in uh, the internal politics of the Labour Party or having the internal politics of the Labour Party as its primary focus um, and shifting its focus back towards workplace organising. Um, and effectively, Sharon Graham seems to me to be a genuine syndicalist, um, meaning that if you're a syndicalist, you believe in a very simplified way that social change is achieved through workplace organisation um, and that you are always willing to uh, take industrial action up to and including strike action in order to achieve your goals. And that is the priority beyond any sort of political involvement. Um, and I have, I have to say that um, some people in the Labour Party are concerned about that stance. Um, I mean, and I kind of sympathise with that view in a way, because as I think I've probably spoken about before, 
that was kind of my start in politics, you know, when I was much younger, um, I was much more technocratic and I believed in the sort of the almost the, the Blairite view of the world, which is that you, you uh, achieve social change through uh, democratic political participation and so on. Um, but the, the reality is, especially when you're in a, a situation where there is a, a conservative government, um, that's not how you exercise leverage. And if you look at the history of, of the Labour movement, indeed the reasons why the Labour Party was formed in the first place, um, you have to understand that the reason that that movement took place is not because trade unionists at the time, 120 years ago, uh, believed that uh, the, the workplace struggle had, had failed. It was because you can go on strike and the state can uh, basically uh, exercise its leverage to make your strike illegal, to make you pay damages to the employer and so on. Um, so uh, seeing this shift, I think, back to the workplace could be really positive because I think over time we have lost the concept that the primary struggle is in the workplace and that we also need political participation to support that action. You need the, the, the sandwich, as I've sometimes talked about, you need the, the filling of industrial action and activism um, held in place by ensuring that you have people in power who are sympathetic to your worldview. Um, and my, my hopefulness, Bradley, about this election um, is that the, the irony perhaps of, of Len McCluskey is that uh, although he was considered to be on the left, he also had this shared this, this view that social change comes primarily through uh, political participation and that unions should be exercising political leverage um, rather than seeing the, the, uh, the struggle as primarily a work-based one and that you also need political participation as well. The, the concern that I have with, with Sharon Graham is really in the detail um, because as, as part of this manifesto, um, she has said that we will only back Labour Party candidates who have been uh, shop stewards or workplace reps and so on. Um, and that does concern me because... Um, while I am sympathetic to her worldview, I'm very much on the left, uh, and I understand that that struggle. Um, I have never had the opportunity to be um, a workplace rep, um, you know, and I also feel that it's discriminate. So maybe there's a bit of self-interest there. More fundamentally, I think it discriminates against people who have been un who are unemployed. I think it would potentially discriminate against students, retired people, people who have just recently converted uh, to, to socialism. Um, so uh, as soon as I can find uh, an email address for her that I can use, I might have to wait until she's actual, actually general secretary. I'm not sure what the changeover period is. Um, I'll be writing to her in my capacity as a CLP secretary to clarify her position. Um, on that, um, because these days, you know, the Labour Party isn't um, as as Rachel Reeves would have it, just the party of people who are in work. It's the party of the whole working class, um, and I think that does include 
uh, unemployed people, students, retirees, and, and so on, who are well represented in Unite through, through Unite Community, of course, uh, uh, as well, which I'm very supportive of. Um, so yes, as in, in short, I have mixed feelings, but uh, I'm reasonably optimistic. Yeah, and I did spot that uh, that pledge as well around um, having been tropsured. And I, I, I think I think the general principle behind it of wanting to see more, you know, tr- active and experienced trade unionists in prominent positions in the party is is a good one in general. You know, I don't think you're going to find many in the in the party, at least on the left, that disagree with that principle. Um, but I think t- taking that to an absolutist point would would be silly because I think you know you've pointed out all the people that wouldn't have had an opportunity. To, to be a shop steward um but also you know even people that have had that opportunity but have, have put their efforts elsewhere you know maybe, maybe they've done lots of campaigning in their local community maybe they've uh, you know they they're really involved in environmental activism there's a lot to, to my mind there's lots of other things that are also welcome and useful to have in the parliamentary labor party's experience as well as shop stewards so um we'll, we'll wait and see how how rigidly that that is um applied but but yeah uh, so there's there's two issues here really that I'd like to dig a little deeper into. So th- there's the first one around the, the future relationship of Unite and I suppose other trade unions with the Labour Party. Um, I I do think to some degree, uh, from my cursory uh, reading into this, it seems like basically Graham's approach is going to be to hold Labour to account over over policy issues rather than the nitty gritty of internal workings of the party. Um, again, how that will play out in practice, we'll see. P- perhaps Unite you know, will still get drawn into some of these debates. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll wait and see how that works out. But at least at the moment, it seems like what, what Graham is interested in is what the party is going to substantially be doing on cert- certain key issues. So I think she's talked a bit about fire and rehire practices and, and what, what Labour is going to do about that. Um, which, I, to my mind, potentially lets Labour off the hook a little bit. They, they, well, not, not lets them off the hook, but I think Starmer might be a little bit... Uh, happier with that actually um it might be a sigh of relief for the labor party um leadership that there's not going to be as close an involvement or, or lobbying or scrutiny from from unite over various internal disputes and, and, and elections and things like that and that actually what they'll be judged on is is policy um although having said that we all know that starmer doesn't do brilliantly when it comes to the area of radical policy um, so perhaps he'll be judged badly for that. So, so that's issue one. Let, let's talk about issue one. Um, either Ollie or Callum, either of you want to come in. Um, but w- what do you think this means for the relationship between Unite and Labour and, and perhaps other trade unions as well? Yeah, just it's, it's a very interesting question. And it's a move away from the, the former Unite uh, the union leader, Len McClusty, who was quite... Um, it's also almost intertwined with the, the Corbyn project, especially in the... The later half of his tenure, I'm aware that he was um, United Union leader before that as well, and before Corbyn kind of um, entered uh, the Labour Party as a, as a leader. But um, it's it's really interesting, and it, I think there's already some signals, um, as you say, uh, that that Graham wants to you know move away of the move away from the, the union's heavy involvement in, in in running the Labour Party, and as you say, it could be. Uh, something somewhat of a, a relief for for Keir Starmer to to have that pressure taken off almost. And and while I think she said that the United Union will continue to uh, pay the fees for the party, they are one of the the biggest donors, I believe. Um, but they would hold any additional funding; it would be conditional, I think she said, um, until Labour could prove that it had the 
the right policy and and yeah there are really key, key areas of workers rights like like fire and, and rehire practices which she's really keen on um but i suppose i, I think Callum can can uh, offer some real good insight uh, to this much better than i can uh, being much more knowledgeable about about labor and, and about union organizing um so i guess the question is as, as you said bradley what how will this affect uh, politics moving forward and, and what do you think uh, unions uh, unite the unions um, involvement with the labor party will be like in the future uh, will she be able to kind of detach um, detach kind of political interference from from the labor party uh, as she intends to do or or will it be much more difficult yeah what, what, what do you think callum is, is starmer going to be reasonably happy with with the sort of things that graham's saying at the moment about the unites approach to the, the labor party uh, i i highly doubt it um, I, uh, everything that I've seen of Keir Starmer so far suggests that he is the ultimate technocrat. Um, and not even that, obviously, because as you say, there's a, a distinct lack of uh, genuine policy coming forwards. Um, I think that her position is quite antagonistic to her view, but also um, he's going to have to work with her because, as I say, this is... Uh, I, I called it the biggest union the other day and, and several of my Unison friends were very quick to, to say, no, actually, it's not the biggest union, Unison is. Um, but nevertheless, uh, perhaps a, a little... Uh, a, a, very, a very big union, anyway. A, a very big union, one, one of the two most important in the UK and, and uh, importantly representative of a lot of private sector workers as well. Um, and... And really, I mean, uh, no disrespect for Unison uh, either, because Unison works very well in, in the public sector. It's a public sector trade union. That's one of the reasons it's so large. But Unite does represent um, much more universally um, people in the private sector, um, and especially people in precarious it, you know, in, in the precariat, people who are working in you know zero hours contracts usually uh, join Unite um, because it's good at organising those sorts of people. And I think it's going to get better at that um, under Sharon Graham. I, I'm very uh, optimistic about that. And I think that, that there, there is a potential opportunity here um, if Keir Starmer or, or uh, someone in the Labour leadership anyway can recognize it um, in that, you know, we are living in an age where, you know, most uh, uh, probably, you know, a vast number of people now uh, under the age of 30, especially and increasingly under 40 as well, are in those precarious working situations. And this, bear in mind that people in that age group also are the people who are becoming voters as well. So this is a critical time if you want to think about the politics of it, um, for the Labour Party to be linking arms with unions like Unite and obviously GMB, BFWAU, etc., um, in in reaching out to that sector of of the population and saying we will, by all means necessary, uh, improve your working conditions and improve your life. Um, that's the link that needs to be made. I think that that can. I'm certainly excited, you know, as a, as a local politician, if you like, as a, as a local CLP secretary, as a 
uh, and as a local councillor as well, I'm certainly excited to see um, the ways in which, uh, and also being a member of Unite as well, being a member of Unite community and being involved in local trades council as well. I'm, I'm hoping that with that sort of possible potential shift in focus, I want to see how this shift in focus that she is proffering will filter down to a local level um, and, and how I can uh, potentially work with that. Very much excited about that. Much more optimistic about that than I am um, at, at a national level um, because I think that that sort of uh, grassroots approach that Sharon Graham is talking about is, is very much opposed to uh, the, the sort of tactics which are employed uh, by the present Labour leadership. Maybe she will be able to influence things. I mean, a, a lot of people in, in the Labour Party are, are weather vanes and will move with the, will move with the political tides. And if she can, the, the key thing will be if she can make common cause with the other trade unions, um, if she can make common cause with CLP delegates in particular. This year's conference is coming up in a few weeks' time. Um, I'll be going there with our delegation um, this time, not as a delegate myself. So I'll have the opportunity now of uh, going to some of the fringes and, and uh, mixing and mingling with people from uh, across the union movement. So I'm hoping to maybe make, uh, you know talk to some people to get a flavour of how they're feeling. But it'll be interesting to see how things play out on the conference floor as well, because obviously the delegates that have been elected this year... Um, you know, have been elected firmly now in, in the Starmer era. So are they going to be sympathetic to his worldview or are they going to be sympathetic to uh, to really the values that he was elected on, of course, which is a more Corbynite manifesto, but in a more professional way, as we've discussed many, many, many times before. Um, bear in mind, of course, that, you know, there are still many Corbynite officers uh, working at CLP level, there are still, you know, they still uh, are quite influential in CLPs. So the, the question really is, um, when it comes to conference and outside of conference as well, can she link up with those people to put pressure on the labour on the labour leadership to actually uh, um, hold uh, Keir Starmer's feet to the fire on the pledges that he made when he was first elected? Um, or is he just going to, even if that happens, perhaps stick his fingers in his ears and, and continue rolling on towards the next general election without really coming out with a, a clear radical manifesto? Um, it's really difficult to tell. Um, as I say, uh, Ollie, I, I'm very optimistic about the, the prospects for um, organising um, at a grassroots level in the UK as a consequence of Sharon Graham's uh, election. But I, I really, I, I'm really curious and a little apprehensive about how it's going to play out at a national level. Great, thanks both for that discussion on the United Leadership election. Uh, we're going to move to the second of our two topics now. Uh, we're going to discuss the ongoing saga of Brexit. So uh, we've all seen the images of empty shelves, um, part blamed on the pandemic, part blamed on Brexit, uh, perhaps other causes as well. Um, Nando's is, is running out of chicken, uh, McDonald's is running out of milkshakes. 
Uh, uh, we, you know, we've all heard about the lorry queues and there's ongoing disputes between the EU um, and the UK regarding Northern Ireland. So, Ollie, do you want to walk us through some of this? Uh, is, is it the fault of Brexit that I can't get a milkshake at McDonald's? And, and what, what, what are the latest uh, travails uh, for Brexit Britain? Well, isn't that the, the hot topic of, of first world issues, I guess? <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's a culmination of, of different things, but um, it's very much the case of um, the the straw that broke the caramel's back, isn't it, with with Brexit and, and pandemic, and it's all culminated uh, with, you know, decades of, of wage stagnation in the logistics industry. We're seeing some very visible sides, signs now, as you outlined. Um, I'd like to add to that, fruit and vegetables rotting in fields, there's uh, warnings of uh, up to 70,000 70, pigs having to be culled because there's just not enough workers to to run uh, pork processing plants, for example. And in general, it is becoming more visible over the past few weeks. Um, and it's been reported that stocks and shops and warehouses uh, have slumped to the lowest stock levels of um, of stock since uh, the Confederation of British Industry began surveying in, in 1983. So just to outline this, I'm looking at a graph at the moment of the, the UK input uh, shortages and you know, it's over the past decade. It's been up and down at various points. There's quite. It seems quite normal, but at the at the later end of 2020, it almost like falls off a cliff. Um, not not to fearmonger, because I think there's there's some really interesting uh, social questions to ask around this, um, such as, you know, recently uh, we've had people calling uh, to say that uh, we won't be able to meet the the regular Christmas demand. You know, there's a very uh, potent culture of increased um, consumption around around Christmas time, and if if uh, delivery delays and, and labour shortages continue the way they are doing, it's looking very unlikely that we'll be able to have you know what what would be a normal Christmas, and you know I think that in itself uh, raises some really interesting questions about whether you know the massive need to uh, reduce our consumption levels and not overconsume uh, the festive periods it's just it's just quite interesting and while this isn't on the scale of some of the other uh, you know world issues that are going on around the world you know lots of uh, you know terrible things happening around the world this isn't like the worst thing ever i think it has a lot of potential to be quite disruptive uh, to people's regular lives which again it's, it's it's not a good thing, but it could have some very uh, interesting societal questions. So just to focus in on, uh, for example, the one of the issues which is being caused, um, which is which is causing the issues in supply chains and and a lot of the things that you outlined with with various pro- popular brands um, having to close or reduce their uh, their regular levels of of customers or, or stuff like that. One of them is um, the fact that uh, very credible reports of a shortage of about 100,000 heavy ground vehicle drivers at the moment, which is, which is, it's been, I think there's a lot of reasons for it, but, you know, wage stagnation over the past few decades, uh, the general contempt by uh, employers and the government, uh, you know, treating drivers like, like shit, basically, and just terrible reports of, of their working conditions um, and yeah, just just reading about it is it's not very nice to read because this is the reality for many people, and it's been compared to uh, 
being almost homeless, like living in your in your lorry and having to you know shit in a plastic bag because it's more hygienic than than some of the fields, the facilities up and down the country. There is just a general lack of of disrespect for um, heavy ground vehicle drivers uh, and lorry drivers in this country, and you know there's a lot of um, there's a lot of different factors that have that have resulted in this, but one of the factors is is Brexit, as you outlined, um, and the fact that there are, I think I read a figure earlier, it was about 14,000 uh, EU workers, um, drivers that have just not not come back to, to, to England, to Britain after after the pandemic, which is quite a lot um, for, a, for one area of an industry to, to deal with, you know, it's a massive shortage. And, you know, there's, there's been a lot of talk this week about, um, about wages and about um, how low paid a lot of these really key workers are and that is exactly what they are they are key workers whether it's convenient for the government to call them that or not um, you know it's much more key than some of the the shareholders or stockholders of big corporations um, that we are told time and time again run our economy it's not it's it's the the heavy ground vehicle drivers it's the actual shop workers it's the the nurses and the doctors and it's it's all that but it's it's always not very politically convenient to call them that um so yeah i think in general it raises some really interesting issues but i think this is just the tip of the iceberg uh, in comparison to what's going to come if this isn't very sharply addressed by the government and it it's not just um HGV drivers, is it? Because we uh, and I think probably th- this latter section is probably less to do with Brexit and, and more to do with maybe changing attitudes to work after COVID. I'm not sure we, we go into that, but um, a, the retail sector across the UK is really struggling to recruit as well, isn't it? Um, uh, uh, some of the stuff I've read has suggested that this is partly because a lot of um, retail workers were, were quite likely to be um, furloughed um, and they, they spent a long time, not just retail workers, so, you know, frontline service workers as well. So maybe, um, you know, restaurant staff and things like that. Um, and they spent quite a long time on furlough. Um, many of them perhaps went and found a new, a new job during that time because they ended up being on furlough for so long. Um, and maybe actually, you know, maybe they've retrained in something. Maybe they just found a, a job in a, a slightly different sector. Um and actually, some of them are finding that they they don't really want to go back to the to the pay the conditions and, and and the treatment they might get from either managers or from you know, from the, from the public as well. Um, so you know, re- the retail industry is actually massively struggling to recruit as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's retail, it's hospitality, it's it's everything which is traditionally uh, relied upon really shit working conditions, low wages, and it's relied upon uh, EU workers and, and non-UK workers coming across and and doing the, the jobs basically that no one else wants to do. And we, we heard a lot about that during during Brexit and during the, the Vote Leave campaign about, um, you know, it's been the narrative for the past decade about um, immigration and about immigrants coming over here and, and taking, taking good jobs and being paid better than the British workers and stuff like that. And it's just... It, the the mask is just completely slipping, I think, and we're actually seeing this, uh, which is exposed by you know a culmination of societal issues such as Brexit, such as the pandemic, such as uh, a decade of of austerity and wage stagnation, and it's all just um, it's all just coming very very apparent very quickly, I think. Yeah, and uh, Callum, I'm interested in your thoughts on this. So, you know, pot- potentially we've we've got people either 
they've, they've either got another job so, that, so they don't need to return to their old retail or hospitality job or uh, or they just seem to be unwilling to contemplate that sort of work anymore. Do you think um, do you think COVID has given us a chance to reassess some parts of work? Do you, do you think with the struggles that retail and hospitality sectors are having now, do you think we're about to see a better offer to UK workers? Are they, are they going to have to bump up their wages or give them some sort of improved conditions or more control over the timetables um, and, and that sort of thing? Are we, are we about to see a bit of an improvement in workers' conditions in the UK, do you think? Certainly, I'd like to, to think so. Uh, I think that's a very astute observation about the real, real sale, retail industry, um, actually. And uh, it's notable, actually, that um, uh, a young amongst my younger friends, people in their late teens, early 20s, um, who are just entering the world of work, there's been an uptick in the number of those people who are joining trade unions. And that's not, not just anecdotal, that's uh, evidential uh, TUC, I think a, a, a month or two ago, was reporting there's been an uptick in the number of people joining trade unions, um, perhaps because they've had this experience. And I think it would probably need to be studied to establish exactly what the reasons for that were. Um, but the, I think you may be right, actually, the experience of, uh, of being on furlough, uh, of, of exploring uh, other options, uh, may have, uh, and also being called key workers as well, those who have been working in those sectors as well, um, being forced to come back early uh, from work when it wasn't safe. Um, I think early on in the uh, earlier on in the pandemic um, may also have uh, focused minds somewhat on on the realities of their employment, um, and uh, the shortages. Are, are, are really interesting on the broader uh, sort of uh, macroeconomic scale of things. Um, I, I think, you know, one of the best things about the pandemic was, of course, uh, for, for me personally, talk about first world issues was uh, McDonald's uh, finally actually uh, entering the delivery business. Um, uh, but of course, you've got the tragedy now of them very, very often forgetting to include a, a McFlurry, which is, I think, quite tragic uh, when, you, when you get to an, a, an end of a meal. Um, so, uh, you know, small things like that um, are, are uh, the tip of the iceberg, really minor inconveniences at the moment, um, but which could become much, much worse. Uh, we've heard about the issues of, uh, you know, crops rotting, um, rotting in the fields, um, the alarming uh, cases of um, produce being lost, um, even in the life, um, livestock sector, as uh, as Ollie was saying earlier. And of course, what the impact that that will have is that prices will also rise at the same time as wages are still being suppressed. Um, and this is a, a very, very dangerous if you again let's take another step back and look at the socio-economic impact of that because historically having a situation where more and more of the population um, their income is declining while the price of living as in the price of food is going up is extremely destabilizing uh, to a culture um, and uh, at a time when we also don't have an awful lot of trust for our politicians when they when they are uh, increasingly openly corrupt, um, these factors which are converging, if you look at the historical, uh, you know, uh, precedents, if you like, 
um, are very uh, dangerous. Um, and uh, I don't know whether the government can see that. Maybe they think they're secure. Um, it's, it's curious as well, of course, that they, they keep also attacking the police and the military with their, uh, with their cuts because who's going to defend them when the riots come? Um, we live in very interesting times. And the, the curious thing as well is that not only have we lived through a pandemic, the rest of the world, it seems, or most of the rest of the world, seems to have dealt with the pandemic um, much, much better than we have, certainly within Europe. Um, and yet here you have the converging crises of a decade of austerity and Brexit and the pandemic, creating a situation where you have a population which is economically depressed um, and uh, also potentially starving. Um, but also, as I say, there are positive impacts in that we now have uh, an increasing number of people joining trade unions. So I, if you're a revolutionary, uh, this, is, uh, this is not a bad uh, time to be living in, potentially. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. Call to arms there. Well, yes, uh, uh, a, a peaceful call to arms, I would say, Bradley. Um, people are joining trade unions, and I think people not just need to, need to not just see that as an insurance, but also to see it perhaps as Sharon Graham would see it as an opportunity to organise and take advantage of the. Uh, situation that we find ourselves in to argue that things can actually be very different from what they presently are, um, which is the uh, activity that we are all engaged in, I would hope. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned Sharon Graham, to tie our two topics together, really, I'd like to just talk for a minute about the, uh, perhaps the, the, the epitome of, um, you know, an industry that is, is known for treating its workers badly. Um, and that's Amazon. Um, and I think one, one of Graham's key projects in Unite at the moment is is about taking on Amazon, really. And um, from my primarily there to to um, force for Amazon to recognise unions and ensure that, that workers in their in their factories and elsewhere can, can unionise without any sort of um, you know uh, revenge from the employer for that. Uh, it's, and Graham's got a bit of a, a track record of taking on, you know, sort of uh, bad employers, um, as you might expect someone running for United leadership. Um, so what do we think? Do we think this Amazon, um, this campaign, for, um, I suppose it's not against Amazon at the moment, but but to get the, the right for workers in Amazon to, to be able to fairly unionise, do, do we think this is likely to lead to success? Well, I think it's important to note that this campaign hasn't come out of nowhere. Um, it's something that uh, Unite uh, branches have been working on for a long time. Unite Community has been involved in it as well. Um, you know, a lot of people working in Amazon, most people working for Amazon are on very precarious uh, contracts uh, in, in quite poor working conditions. So not very far away from the uh, unemployed students and that's that are uh, represented by Unite Community or in Unite Community, I should say, um, and uh, you know, I was very, very, uh, uh, very impressed to see that the work that they've been doing that. So this, this is something that Unite's been working on for for uh, 
for some time and I think that's only going to intensify. Uh, Amazon is one of the worst employers in the developed world um, and uh, I'm really pleased to see her taking a, 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 an even harder stance on, on them and bringing to attention uh, the deprivations that the workers there received and actually doing something about it. Um, my final question for both of you, um, with, with um, all these issues we're talking about and the potential for, for potentially improvements um, in workers' rights um, at this sort of historic moment we're at at the moment, um, but also all the, the shortages and issues brought around by Brexit, um, where's the Labour Party in all of this? What's, um, what, what does uh, Sakia think? Who knows? <laughs> what does he think? Yeah, a million dollar question, isn't it? Um, I mean, I think he's been at a time where we've had arguably the worst government in power at the worst time. I think he's been almost completely absent from the issues that really matter to people. And one of them is, is workers' rights. And, uh, you know, the furlough scheme and the pandemic was quite quite a, a key area of debate in the, in the political spectacle. Um, but I can't think of anything memorable at all. And I, I do follow him as well. I do uh, try and read about the stuff that he says um, just to keep on top of it. But I can't think whether he has a, a credible uh, reputation on fire and rehire practices or uh, on, on unionising or on, on anything that's relevant to, to workers' rights in the UK. Um, in fact, you know, he just wants to re- reward, arguably, the, the corporations like Amazon with a with a, a completely uh, right-wing <laughs> the corporation tax cut, I think it was, wasn't it, um, a couple of months ago with the, big, with the big issue of corporation tax. So, yeah, it's, it's really hard to think of anything incredible that he's, he's done in this this, uh, this area. So I, I don't know, unless you can, you can think of anything, Callum, and enlighten me. I think that, uh, as I suggested before, it's... Uh, that that they really need to step up their game, the the Labour leadership do. Um, I'm, I'm struggling to see much that they are saying about the stuff that we've been talking today, um, about the precarity of work, about the cost of living, um, even about the, the, the shortages, which you would have thought was uh, an open goal. Um I'm sure that this sort of stuff is being said, but it's just not, it's not becoming part of the, the, the zeitgeist, if you like, in the same way it was under Jeremy Corbyn. Um, so uh, to say I'm disappointed by that is, is something of an un- understatement. Um, but we shouldn't, I think, as, uh, as Sharon Graham maybe shows, get too hung up about what man, what one man who happens to sit uh, on the pinnacle of the Labour Party uh, is saying, um, we can't wait for him to move. We have to do things ourselves. Um, that sort of stuff is clearly happening, as we've discussed today. Um, and I think that's what we need to be optimistic about. And that, that ultimately um, will lead to changes in the Labour Party if they become necessary. Um, and uh, so I think it's 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 a time to be optimistic more than anything else, uh, and and maybe Keir Starmer will catch up to that. Who knows? Um, I'm often reminded of uh, of a, a sketch of uh, his uh, predecessor Ed Miliband um, chasing after a crowd of people, 
um, and someone says, where are you, where are you going, Ez? And he says, uh, I'm trying to see where my people are going so I can lead them there. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, well, I, to be honest, at this point, I would take that attitude over, over the position that Labour seems to be in, which at the moment uh, seems to be no direction at all. But, uh, but there we are. Um, as I say, let's be optimistic about what's being done in the Labour, uh, wider Labour movement and support that. Um, and, uh, we'll just see what happens at conference this year and, and with, with Labour leadership, maybe they'll catch up to us eventually. I, I think that that's a great sentiment. I almost want to end on that, but I do want to ask you one more question, Callum. Um, yeah. Do you, do you think all all of what you've just said is a caveat? But what do you think? There's a real possibility where you could see now um, unite and other unions potentially moving in a uh, you know put, putting out some quite ambitious campaigns on workers' rights. Um, you know of and and um, you know, I think particularly things like fire and rehire um, are are big issues at the moment. Yeah, could, could we see the, some of the big unions in the country putting out quite quite bold um, campaigns on those issues? Um, the Labour leadership doing what it seems to do a lot at the moment and not really properly backing them and, and, and being a bit sort of ambivalent and a bit, you know, mealy mouthed about them. And that potentially resulting in withdrawal or, or re- reduction in some of the, uh, the funds that the unions give to Labour Party. I, I don't. I, I don't want to speculate on the question of funds because, honestly, I think that's far above my pay grade. Um, that that sort of stuff ultimately will happen in London. Um, I, I'm hoping that funding will still come to uh, local Labour Party candidates, obviously, um, who who show a socialist backbone um, when it comes to supporting the campaigns that you're talking about. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I do uh, hope and expect actually to see trade unions taking an ever uh, bolder stance in, in uh, holding employers uh, to account to improve uh, conditions. Um, ultimately, of course, we'd like to see a complete change to the system where we're not just holding employers to account. We have more cooperatives, but that's a, another discussion. Um, so yes, I, I do. I do expect to see uh, see more of that. Um, I do, and I look forward to it, uh, to engaging with it. You, you have nimbly dodged that question um, as all the politicians. I have dodged that question. I think I, 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 <laughs> I, I like I say. I, I I've um, Sharon Graham. From my perspective, right now, today, twenty ninth of August, twenty twenty one. Uh, Sharon Graham. I've read. Her manifesto. I've read lots of articles about her. Uh, see, you know, I've, 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 I'm getting to know her, um, but she's not someone that uh, she's kind of come out of the blue. This is a very new direction, um, even for relatively left wing hitherto unite. Um, so this has to play out. Um, and we also happen to have, uh, I think at this point, it's uh, pretty unobjectionable to say a right wing leader of the Labour Party um, who is who is quite technocratic and not given to uh, making particularly taking polit- particularly radical stances on things. Those are uh, the realities of, of politics within the Labour movement today. And I think that those forces just have to... Uh, will do whatever they think is in their interests and it will play out as it plays out. We, we just have to do what we can do at a local level 
to support workers and try and drive things in a more positive direction for the people that we represent. Um, and uh, as I say, that's that's the nature of the contemporary labour movement. So o- often, as the sentiment is at the end of uh, these podcasts, it's uh, join a union. Uh, you know, and and I think I quite liked what you said earlier, Kalamui. So we we can't wait for you know we can't wait to see what Kiyosawa is going to do. We can't just sit around and wait for those things. We we need to be doing what we can, and what you know where we are, and 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 pushing forward change in what ways we can. Yeah. Um, I think I paraphrased you a little bit there. I think that was the sentiment. No, no, you've forward. summarized it quite <laughs> well. I think. Um, so I think that's a nice sentiment to end on. Make the change you can where you are. Um, that should probably involve joining union if, if you're not already in one or, or so, some sort of community activist group or, or some sort. Um, so I think I think that's a nice a nice sentiment to end it on. So uh, it's a goodbye from me, your host today, Bradley, um, and it's a goodbye from Ollie. Bye, everyone. Stay safe. And it's a goodbye from Callum. Stay safe all. Join the trade union. See you next time. <laughs>